morning. Good morning. How are we? Go ahead and grab a seat. Grab your Bibles. First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. I feel like that thing's going to blast off any second here. First Peter chapter 1. Can we believe it's going to be like 80 degrees on December 20th? I don't know. Is this a positive or negative? Give me a sign. Thumbs up if it's a positive. Thumbs, okay. Half and half. We are split right down the middle. I think this is a massive negative. I, I sweat easily. All right. First Peter chapter one. Now, uh, you, you know, service starts at nine. I like to say this often. Uh, so those of you that came a little bit late, no big deal. I just want to reiterate the announcements to us. Uh, number one, we'll have a Christmas Eve service on Christmas Eve. All right. So we're not doing a Christmas Eve service on the 20th today. That just doesn't make sense. Uh, so we will be doing it five o'clock right here in the North parking lot candlelight service. All are welcome. It'll be about 45 minutes long. And if your rhythm is anything like my family, we're going to get out of here about six and we're going to go find the jankiest Chinese food joint we can. And we're going to do spend way too much money and feel terrible in the morning, but also feel great about ourselves. All right. Christmas Eve, five o'clock right here. The second one is next Sunday, the 27th. We will not be here in person. You should have gotten the email. Uh, if you've not signed up for our MailChimp, go ahead and hit our website, sign up for that. It goes out about every couple of weeks with major updates and whatnot. We, we've got another one getting ready, queued up, ready to go. You can have it on our website as well. There'll be an at-home liturgy guide for you to pray, for you to hear the word, for you to ask some questions of the word, to sing together as a family with your friends. So we will not be doing in-person service on the 27th. If you show up, you can worship here. You can pray here, do a prayer walk around the building, pray for 2021 on our behalf. We just won't be doing it with you, okay? We will not be here. All right. First Peter chapter one. This is week three of our God Gives sermon series. So we, we've seen how God gives us peace. Last week, we, Pastor Stephen Coppenrath from Foothill showed us how God gives us hope. Uh, this week, we're gonna consider how does God give us joy? What does joy in Christ look like? Uh, the, the Christmas story gets treatment in, in all the gospel accounts, but the one that gives us the most, the fullest picture of the Christmas story comes from Luke chapter two. I love Luke chapter two. There's so much about it I love, but particularly what I love is this scene between the shepherds and the angel of the Lord. I'm going to read it for us. Luke chapter two, verses nine through 11 says, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, them being the shepherds and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, right here in the middle of this announcement, as the angel of the Lord approaches the shepherds, he, the first words of the angel's mouth are fear not, fear not. Why do they not have to be full of fear? Well, the announcement is you can have great joy. There is good news coming your way. And the good news is that the Savior, the promised one, the Messiah has been born. And, and that news is not just for a couple people. That news is for all people. Now, let me teach you a little bit about how emotions work. We, we see some emotions here in that text. We see fear and we see joy. So feelings or emotions, they're kind of instinctual, right? They're produced from the gut. They just come forth without control. Let me give you an example. 
Uh, about a month or two ago, uh, with those real nasty winds that came through, the, the real heavy ones, my, my great aunt, she lives in Chino. She's been in the same house for decades, and she's got this great oak tree planted right in front of her house, like a 100-year-old, I don't even know how old that tree is, massive tree, really old tree, really old home. So she was in the home with her uh, niece, my cousin, Kaylee, and her two kids. They're eating breakfast, and the winds start picking up, and it just picks up this massive oak tree uh, uproots it and it crashes through the house. I mean, I didn't know a house could be totaled until I heard a house could be totaled when her house was indeed totaled. Now, put yourself in her shoes. In that moment, she doesn't need to do any math. She doesn't need to say like, okay, the kids are in the house. I got to panic and go find them. No, she just felt panic instinctively, naturally. Uh, this, this tree came crashing through the home. I, I don't need to tell myself to feel confusion. I just feel it. Or, or fear, is everything going to be okay? Are we going to be taken care of? How's our home? She just felt those things from the gut level. Now, go back to that Christmas story with the shepherds and the angel and put yourself in the shoes of the shepherd. This is a terrifying scenario. You're just doing your work in the field. You're caring for the sheep. You're picking up weeds. And all of a sudden, this angel shows up, right? That should be enough right there. That's terrifying. But then, not only that, the, the glory of God is shining forth from this angel. It's shining around them and it envelops them. That's a terrifying moment. And then to boot, the angel talks and the angel speaks to you. Obviously, in that moment, from your gut, instinctively, you're going to fear. Now, let, let's go back to the scene in my aunt's house in Chino. She gets up out of the rubble, out of the confusion, and then she begins doing a little bit of that math, right? She walks around, okay, the kids are okay, Kaylee is okay, they're going to be safe, I don't need to panic right now. She goes and she looks at the house, she's like, okay, even though the house is destroyed, we're all safe, I don't need to fear right now, I do, I have homeowner's insurance, this is going to get assessed, we'll get some damage, it's going to be okay. And she was able to speak to herself and calm herself down, right? And now go back again. Let's just, we're going to keep going scene to scene. The shepherd and the angels, the angel says, fear not, fear not. You don't need to fear. Even though your gut produced this, even though in your instincts, you felt fear, you don't have to. Why? Because the savior is here. You can feel great joy. The good news of the birth of our Messiah, it has come to pass. It's happening right now. Well, why this intro? Well, you and I live unsteady lives, right? And here's the newsflash. 2020 did not produce an unsteady life. This always existed. All 2020 did was isolate ourselves, isolate us so that all we're doing is talking to ourselves, right? We're not communicating and doing life with other people. So we're, tell, we're lying to ourselves. We're believing the lies. We're telling ourselves all of life, 2018, 2019, and, and the calendar is going to flip here in 10, 12 days, and it's going to be the same. Cat's out of the bag, right? The, the January 1st is not going to change everything. We live unsteady lives where circumstances are constantly shifting. Things are always changing. We, we all, if I may, live volatile lives, right? People change. Jobs change. 
Uh, relationships change, money comes and it goes, life gets interrupted by a diagnosis, a a, a death, a divorce notice, life gets changed by hurtful word, a a move, a transfer from your job. We all live in this unsteady life and all of that unsteadiness produces a variety of emotions from the gut of all of us. I, I don't know where you land on the spectrum, but every one of us reacts to life with deep felt emotions. We, we feel fear or anger or sadness. We might get anxious or disappointed. We might feel insecure, envy, whatever it might be. That's the reaction naturally to the shifting circumstances of all of our lives. And we cannot prevent it. It's coming from the gut. But what do we do with that? Right, We hear the words of the angel of the Lord that the overriding emotion that the Christian can feel, the governor, if I may, of the Christian life is joy because the good news has come and it's for all people. The savior has been born. So, so when my gut is telling me I can't feel joy, how do I get it? Well, thanks for coming. That's a question we're gonna answer today. How can I feel joy when my gut tells me I can't. So here's the, here's the phrase I want you to walk away with today. And by the way, the QR codes have the, the sermon notes on them. We fight for Christian joy by remembering who God is and what God has done. There's, there's layers to that, all right? So, so here's the first thing. At the center of that is God. While our circumstances change, God is unchanging. The Bible teaches that on repeat. Our lives are always shifting to and fro. They're unsteady. Our lives are on the waves of unsteadiness, but God is settled and he is unchanging and he will never change. The second thing is when our gut tells us joy is not an option, that's where we fight for joy, Christian. That's where we actively pursue joy as an option in our lives. And then we do that by remembering who our God is, right? Because all of us have gospel amnesia, gospel forgetfulness, forgetting who God is, forgetting what God has done in our lives. And what we must do is discipline ourselves to remember who God is and what he has done for me and for all of us. And it will naturally produce Christian joy within us. All right, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at 1 Peter 1, three through nine, and we're gonna consider five aspects of the gospel that produce this joy within us, this joy that we're all desperate for. And here's just a fun fact about this. So Peter, when he wrote this, verses three through 12, grammatically, is all, is all just a massive run-on sentence, right? So he begins with the phrase, blessed be, and he just gets lost in praise and honor and glory of who God is. And his pen just kind of takes over and he just keeps running on this, this gospel run-on sentence of great joy that Peter is feeling. And I want it to be infectious for us. I want us to feel the same way Peter is feeling. So let's look at these five things together. All right, look back at your Bibles. First Peter chapter one, let's read verse three. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
All right. When I lived in Texas, the, the church that I served at, we had four services across the weekend. We had two Saturday night and two Sunday morning services. The Saturday night services were at five and seven thirty, and I worked every Saturday night. Now, a fun fact about me: most of you already know this. Number one, I, I love food, and number two, I go to bed excessively early. Now, here's the problem. All right, five o'clock, my family and I, we would worship, and then Katie would take the kids, they would go home. I would stay, and I would work the 7.30 service. And, and, and what that's doing, it's beginning to creep up on dinner time and really creep up on bedtime for me. So I'm getting hangry, I'm getting tired, like I, don't, I just don't wanna be there. So my coworker, Rob, uh, he knew this about me, so what he would do right after that second service got started, he would come, he would grab me, and he'd say, let's go get some dinner. So we'd walk across the street, and we'd go to this Mediterranean joint uh, uh, every single Saturday night, Saturday night, week after week, month after month, for, for months on end. And because we were there each and every week, we, we were able to befriend the owner of this joint. So we'll call him Drew. Drew uh, was a Lebanese immigrant. He was a devout Muslim. And, and something about Drew that you need to know is that he was just wildly obnoxious. I mean, just wild, loud. I mean, his tone, the things he said to us. I, I like no like socially aware person would say some of these things. He was one of the, you, you ever met a face talker? I mean, they get all up in your face, and, and I, I guess masks really help with with that, right? Like you're not getting me with that stinky garlic breath. But what, what we're doing is. We're getting to know Drew, right? Even in all of his obnoxiousness and in all the ways that he kind of put us off. We're like, all right, we're gonna discipline ourselves. Let's befriend him. We prayed for him. We shared the gospel with him. We got to know him. We, we tipped him well. By the way, Christians should be the best tippers on the earth, okay? So don't be stingy. A stingy Christian just doesn't make sense. Um, that, that's not the point of this. Well, one, one week... One week we, uh, we, we show up to this restaurant and we go in to order dinner. And right as we walk in the door, Drew is just waiting to assault us. And we're like, oh man, here we go again. And he takes us outside. And there's something discernibly different about Drew. He's settled, he, he's calm, he's kind of quiet. And we're like, dude, is everything okay? Like what, what happened in your life? What tragedy occurred? And, and he just said to us, I've been born again. I'm a follower of Jesus. I mean, months of sharing the gospel with this guy, months of praying for this guy. And I didn't even get to be there. Like I felt envious of whoever that person was that got to be there to pray with Drew. But there was this discernible change in him. But the most marked change in Drew is he went from kind of this angry, obnoxious, like lashing out type of individual to a person who was calm and deeply joyful. Now, why was he so joyful? He was so joyful because Christian joy is a result of new life in Jesus. Peter begins verse three here, bursting forth with joy. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is he praising the name of our God? Well, because according to his great mercy, he did not give me the punishment I deserved for my sin, but instead he welcomed me into his family and he breathed new life into me. You see, the scriptures teach that in our sin, in our rebellion from God, we're not just unwell, we're not just rebellious, but the scriptures go so far as to say we are 
dead. We are spiritually dead in our sins and our trespasses, and we cannot revive ourselves. And the theological term for new life is called regeneration, where the Holy Spirit of God comes into our lives and he breathes new life into us. And our cold, dead hearts are replaced with a new heart that is alive in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has been resurrected. He is alive. He will always live. Therefore, our hope is alive. And Jesus has fully defeated all of our greatest enemies. He has defeated sin for the Christian. He has defeated the enemy for the Christian. But most importantly, he has defeated death for the Christian. We have new life through Jesus. Drew had tasted the gospel. He had seen the wickedness of his own sin, but then he had seen the mercy and the beauty of Jesus to save a sinner like him. And he was a whole new person and his life was marked by joy. Nothing Christian can steal your new life in Jesus from you. Not a single thing can take your new life in Jesus. Therefore, we have cause for great joy. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The first reason we can have joy this Advent season is because we have new life in Jesus. Next, let's keep reading verse four with me. First Peter one, verse four. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, sometimes in December, I'm a really bad, or December, excuse me, sometimes in December, I'm a really bad dad. Here's what, here's what happens. We'll be walking through Target or we'll be walking through Walmart, wherever we find ourselves, and the kids are going to see all of the presents, all of the toys, all of the decorations everywhere, right? And we're going to be walking through there, and, and I'm going to be dragging them along because their heads are going to be turned the complete opposite direction, and they're just going to keep saying this on repeat, right? Parents, we know this. I want that. I want that. I want that. I want that. Now, if our family's in a particular rush, what I'm going to do just to get them to, you know, zip it and us get out of the store is I'm just going to be like, all right, whatever, you'll get it. Let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. Now, here's the deal. I have no intention of getting my kids those toys. And I'm like, we just can't afford it. It's not going to happen. But our kids, you know what? They hear it as a promise from dad's mouth. Like they asked for it. I said, okay. It's going to happen. Now, Peyton's getting smart to all of this, right? So she's trying to nail me down, get it in writing and notarized at this point, but that's, that's just not gonna, not gonna happen. Now, here's the deal with our father in heaven. He is the perfect, hear me, perfect promise maker and the perfect promise keeper. He is never dragging us through our lives with us saying, I want that, I want that. And he's making false promises to us just to keep us moving along. But every word that comes forth from our father is an absolute promise that will, hear me, will be kept. There is no doubt about it. This is not wishful thinking. And what you just heard in verse four is an absolute promise to the Christian. Not only have we been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, but we've also been born again to an inheritance. And that inheritance is imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading. So the second reason we can have Christian joy in this season is because we hold in our hands a certain and a bright future. Our future is certain because these are the promises of God to us. That is a certainty. It is rock solid, but it's also incredibly bright, Christian. This is our future. You see, Peter promises to us that our future is going to be imperishable. 
We live in a world that is marked by sin. And the greatest effect of sin is death, otherwise known as perishing, right? So, so, so imagine just like a banana sitting on your countertop for a week and you just watch it brown and decay and go to waste. It, that's perishing. And that's what sin does to us. And that's what sin does to our world. Perishing is an effect of sin. And we see this everywhere. We see wars ravaging. We see disease stealing life and diseases stealing vitality. We see life is lost, but there is a future for the Christian, hear me, where perishing perishes. Do you hear that? There is a future coming where death dies because Jesus is alive. This is our future. No more death. Sin will be eradicated. The effects of sin will be eradicated. We will live in a new heaven and a new earth where bananas won't decay and neither will we. I love bananas. We also get a future that is undefiled. The pollution of sin will be eradicated. The new land that we will live in and dwell in with Jesus will be marked only by beauty and by perfection. All pollution, all garbage, both within our hearts and outside of us is going to be gone forevermore. It will be undefiled. And then my, my favorite one, we get a future that is unfading. I love this one. Listen, as I've gotten older, I've tried to maintain the lifestyle I lived in my teens and my 20s, and that's just a bad idea. Like a lack of diet as you get older, like it just doesn't work. Like I can't eat whatever I wanna eat. I feel the pain of it for multiple days. Right, I get tired sometimes now. I can't burn the candle at both ends like I used to. Like I used to live by the motto, I'll sleep when I'm dead. That's just dumb. Like don't do that. That's not healthy, but I've, I've let that govern my life. I'm, I'm losing hair in all the wrong places and getting it in all the wrong places, right? I'm thinking about blood pressure. I'm thinking about cholesterol. Like there's things that I didn't even know how to define in my teens. I'm actually like researching and getting checked regularly. It's just, I, I don't even know this. I, I worked out with Chuck on Wednesday. I can't extend my arms all the way still today. It's on Sunday, like it's crazy that my body just can't hang. It's, it's fading, in other words. And I think about the life that we live, like everything outside of our promises in our savior fade. Like that's just the truth that we live in. Our money fades, our relationships fade, our homes fade. All this life that we lived and we curated will fade away from us. But our future in Jesus will never lose its beauty. It will never lose its luster. It will never spoil or fade from existence. The Christian future is an ever-expanding worship and glory and joy in the Lord. We will never get to the bottom of that well, ever-expanding. This Christian is our promise. It, the text says it's kept in heaven for us. This is in our future. We have joy knowing that this is our certain future. God is not promising th this to us in order for us to leave him alone. He is promising this to us because it's going to to come to pass. We can have joy because of our certain bright future. Let's keep moving. The Christian has joy because the Christian is kept by God. Look at verse five with me. 
who, this is speaking to Christians, you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is some really strong language that Peter is using in reference to the power of God. Now, I love adoption. I love the, like the families in our church that have adopted and fostered. I love caring for them and helping them. And, and by the way, we're gonna throw fuel on that fire in 2021. We're gonna get after all of that in, in more and more serious ways. But I, I love adoption because a lot of times we think about adoption as simply a legal reality. Like legally, my last name has changed and that's absolutely true. But there's a relational component to adoption that has also changed. I am now a part of a new family. My name has changed and my family has changed. And, and this is what God has done for us in the gospel. By the blood of Jesus Christ, we are now legally bought at a, at a price and we belong to God. He is our father, but it's not just a legal father, but it's also relational. Hint, hint, verse four, there's an inheritance. There's relational ties to our father. And when we have God as father, we know we have a protective and a powerful father who is guarding us and keeping us and watching over us and not neglecting us. When something comes into our lives and attempts to hurt us or, 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 or destroy us or kill us, it is our father. Father who steps in and shields us and protects us and keeps us. Now, hear me. I didn't say prevention. I said protection. Here's a principle for better or for worse that Katie and I try to parent by. We don't try to prevent our kids from getting in trouble or getting hurt, right? Like you need, like Owen especially, he's got to touch the fire once to know that the fire hurts, Okay, so I could walk around Owen all day and, and block him from touching the fire or one time he could touch the fire, guess what? He's never gonna do that again. So we're not, we're not just like helicoptering around our kids trying to protect them from every single thing that could go wrong. Uh, but, but like, so here, here's what God does for us. God, God, he promises to protect us, not to prevent things in our lives, right? So the Christian is not prevented from suffering, Right? We could do a poll right now. Every one of us in 2020 has suffered in significant ways. Just because we're a Christian doesn't mean that's prevented from our lives. The Christian is not prevented from persecution. The quickest growing church in the world is in Iraq and Iran where persecution is some of the strongest. Those Christians are not being prevented from persecution. It's actually the persecution that's causing the gospel to grow like wildfire. The Christian is not prevented from trials. Trials still come our way. We're gonna get there in a second. So when God is, or when Peter's talking about protection from God, what does that actually mean? Protection from God means we are secure in our salvation. We are secure. It's going to pass. It ha we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. Here's what that means. Even when the suffering comes, despite that suffering, Christ is going to carry us through and we will taste a day where there is no more suffering. Despite the persecution that exists in this world, there is going to be a day where vengeance is the Lord's and, and persecution will cease. Despite the trials, we will have a day coming where we will experience forevermore bliss in Jesus Christ. That's what protection means. It means when suffering, persecution, and trials come our way, Christ holds fast to us. He carries us through it and salvation is certain. 
There is not a single thing, Christian, hear me, not a single thing that can rob your salvation through Jesus Christ from you. Not one thing. There is no sin that you can commit that could cause God to un, or to God's God to unadopt you, to leave you, to cast you out from the family. You're in his family forever. There's no suffering that can separate us from the love of our father. There's no decision, thought, doubt, word, unbelief that can cause God to untie himself from you. You are forever secure in your father through the Lord Jesus Christ. If this doesn't give you joy, if this doesn't give you confidence, I, I, I don't know what to preach that'll get us there. We are certain we are going to be saved. All right, let's keep moving here. Verses six and seven. In this, you rejoice. There's that word joy, rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, verse seven, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's one thing I love about the Bible. The Bible is radically honest about reality, right? You, you never see any authors of scripture acting like trials don't exist, acting like suffering doesn't exist, acting like this life we're living must be fake. We must turn a blind eye to it and believe in something that's not real. The Bible is for everyone because all of us face trials and the gospel and the scriptures speak to us in the middle of our trials. You see, many of us view God as this kind of distant tyrant that's unaware of our trials or even worse, when he sees our trials, he kind of takes joy in them. And that's not what the Bible says about our father in heaven. No, here's what we celebrate at Advent. In the mess of our lives, Christmas is the answer to the question, does God want to get involved? You see, God saw the mess of our lives. He saw the trial in our lives and he sent his only son to enter the filth and mess and trial of humanities in order to save us up out of it. Christmas is the answer to the question, does God want to get involved in my trials? And here's what the Bible tells us about our trials. The Bible says our trials are real. Don't minimize it. Like, don't act like trials are fake. The, the Bible says to us that trials happen to everyone, which Christian, it means you're not alone and you don't need to suffer alone. You have the family of Christ to bear you up to carry you through this. If you're in a season of trials right now, we should invite you, seek prayer, seek community. We wanna walk alongside you in that. We're all going through it. Let's at least do it together. The Bible tells us that trials are hard. So we don't need to act like things are easy. Listen to Psalm six. The psalmist says, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. That sounds hard. And it's in the Bible. And God's saying, it's hard, but I'm gonna be with you in the hard. The Bible says our trials are only for a little while. This too shall pass. Second Corinthians four says this is light and momentary affliction. But what God's saying to us here about our trials in first Peter is that the Christian can have joy because God wastes nothing. 
I, I try to say this as much as I can, church. God is not wasting anything in your life. He's not wasting a single millisecond of this year, and he's not wasting any trials you might be facing. Remember, Peter begins this sentence with blessed be God. And right here in verse six, he says, in this you rejoice. How can we rejoice in the middle of trials? Well, because the trials we're facing are purifying us, they're, they're sanctifying us, they're maturing us, and it's giving us a faith in Jesus that is rooted ever deeper, ever wider, and it's ever more secure. And that's not produced from within us. It's not because we mustered up the strength to somehow have greater faith. It's the trials that we're facing that help our faith mature. And Peter says, your faith is the most valuable thing to you in this life. It's more valuable than all the world's gold, which will eventually perish, even though it's been tested by fire. But as the Christian is tested by the fires of trials, we come out on the other side with less hope in ourselves, less hope in our stuff, less hope in our circumstances, and and greater hope in Christ and Christ alone. We have a faith that is alive and secure, and one day our faith will result in the unfading crown of glory. That faith will become sight and result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation, at the sight of Jesus Christ. Right now, though, in the world that we face of trials, God is using that to help us see that Christ is our only hope. So we have joy because God wastes nothing. All right, let's look at the last two verses here. Verses eight and nine, 1 Peter 1. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So Peter in the Bible, I really love Peter. I think all of us identify with Peter in certain ways. Um, but part of Peter that I just really love is, is that he's really passionate. And he's also like, he's a little overzealous at times, a little aggressive at times, right? And these last two verses right here that we're going to look at today, it's almost like he's exploding forth with passion. He says, though we have not seen him, we love him. You rejoice with Joy, that's redundant, right? Any English teacher would be like, you didn't have to write that the second time. You rejoice with joy? Oh, yeah, that, that's kind of in the definition of the word rejoicing. And then he says, this joy that you're feel, feeling, it's inexpressible. There is no words that can contain the type of Christian joy that we're feeling. And he says, this joy is filled with glory. That sounds passionate, that's huge to me. Now what's causing all of this for Peter? He says, it's the outcome of our faith. And the outcome of our faith, the outcome of the salvation of our souls is Jesus Christ. It's all about him. That's what Peter's writing about. He says, you love him. Who's that? That's Jesus. We love him. We rejoice with joy in who? Our joy is in Jesus. Our joy is filled with glory because Jesus is filled with glory. Our joy is inexpressible because we don't have words enough on this earth to accurately portray the beauty and majesty of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. Here's the truth. Everything we've talked about today, our future reality in Jesus, our security through Jesus, our inheritance because of Jesus, our solution of sin from Jesus, our hope and trials due to Jesus. That's all peripheral effects of the gospel. The real powerful effect of the gospel is that we get Jesus. That's our hope. 
That's our joy. The Christian has joy because the Christian has Christ. Our faith will become sight at the revelation of Jesus and everything that we've talked about will go fading into the background and we will set sight on Jesus and we will forever be, be just caught up in his beauty and his glory. The greatest thing we can get because of the gospel is Christ himself. Pastor uh, Eric Raymond commenting on joy says this, this is good news and it is good news for us today. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. The Bible makes clear that if we recognize our sin, our imperfection before God and confess it to him, agreeing with him that it is bad and it is sinful and ask him to forgive us and we trust in Christ as our sin bearing substitute, then God will forgive us. The joy then comes by knowing Christ. We come to know Christ by trusting in him. Perhaps you're hearing this and this concept of joy sounds foreign, but it is nevertheless attractive. You can have your greatest problem dealt with and then experience the joy, here it is, that comes through knowing and trusting God. Our joy comes from knowing and trusting in Christ. Our joy is Christ. Now, let me begin to close like this. Let me take it back up to the top. Luke chapter two, this announcement of, uh, of good news, of great joy that a Messiah has been born for all people. Think about who that was spoken to. Who did the angel approach? Shepherds. Shepherds in the ancient world were the lowliest of low. It was the most looked down upon work you could have. In the fil filth of the field, that's who the angel went to. Think about who wrote first Peter, right? Peter, the apostle who denied Jesus who cut someone's ear off, the one who was really overzealous and aggressive. That's who wrote these very words. I'm afraid that all too often we think the claims of joy and the claims of the Christian gospel are only for, for the super confident, only for the supremely attractive, only for the ones who have it all together and are deserving of it. But hear me, that's the opposite of who the gospel's for. The gospel is not for those who have it all together and are deserving of it. You see, the gospel says it's only for those who recognize they are morally and spiritually bankrupt and desperately in need of a savior and they cannot muster it themselves and they cannot save themselves and they're at their wits end from trying to do that. You see, the gospel is for the hurting, the broken, the outcast, the sinner, the wretched, the confused, the rough around the edges, the one who's denied Jesus, the addicted, the tired, and the only. In other words, the gospel's for you and the gospel's for me. This is the good news of the great joy that we remember who God is, our unchanging, sovereign, powerful God who entered the mess of our lives through his son, Jesus Christ. And we remember what God has done. He has saved us from our sin and he has secured us for a future that's incredibly bright. This Christian is what gives us joy. We fight to remember this. If you're not a believer in Jesus, let me just invite you. What's holding you back? If it is indeed that you feel like, man, I gotta put some things together. I gotta figure some things out in my life. Man, hear me. You look around this place. I know the stories represented in this place. And most importantly, I know the story of my own life. I'm a mess. We're all a mess. Internally, we're all barely hanging on by a thread. And that's who Jesus came to save. That's who he came to be present with. So if you're not a believer, let me just invite you. You don't gotta put yourself together. Jesus came to do that. He came to make you whole. 
Turn from your sin and trust in him and get this great Christian joy that we all desperately need. Christian, if you are a believer, repentance is not a one-time thing. Repentance is a lifestyle where we perpetually recognize we have wandered from Jesus, we have betrayed Jesus, and yet Jesus constantly accepts us back with open arms. And, and perhaps our, our, our joy meter is a little low right now. And perhaps it's because we've got unresolved sin in our hearts and in our lives. Perhaps it's because we're withholding forgiveness. Perhaps it's because we've forgotten who God is. We've forgotten what God has done. And the invitation today is to repent. Turn from all the, all the flimsy, fading things that we're trusting in in this life and turn again to Jesus and do it again and again and again and wake up tomorrow to new morning mercies and fresh grace from God and do it again. And let that govern our Christian joy. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you that Jesus is the answer to the question, will God get involved in my life? You have, you have, Father, sent your son. And through him, we can be adopted into your family, saved from our sin, have a certain and secure and bright future. God, I pray for anyone that's, that's here today or is tuning in online with us and they just are living a season of suffering and trials and a lack of joy. God, I pray that in a supernatural way by your spirit's power, you would help them to, to open their eyes to see the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of our savior. Good news of great joy. The Messiah has been born. And whatever we're feeling now, can be governed by the joy that the Christian has because we have new life, we have a great future, we are being purified, and we will one day set our sights upon you. God, give us joy, and may our joy be infectious. May our city and our state and our world see the joy of your people and want to get in on this. Pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.